Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to Swiss Cast. I am your host, Brother Suhaib Webb. MashaAllah, great to be with you guys. Today, we have a special guest, Sister Mubarakah Ibrahim. She is a health and fitness expert with 20 years experience in the personal wellness industry. Guys, she was on Oprah. She's been featured in the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times, written for Fitness and Prevention Magazine, as well as Aziza Magazine. She has earned 13 fitness and nutrition certifications and holds an interdisciplinary BS in exercise science, public health, psychology, and psychology from Southern Connecticut State University. She's an author. She's a poet. She's a trainer. She's doing it all, mashallah. And today she sits down with us here at SwissCast as we unpack functional fitness and nutrition. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Wa alaikum salam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. How you doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm good. MashaAllah. <laughs> so it is great to have you on SwissCast. You're someone who I've ran into on and off throughout my life, especially as I've struggled with my own fitness journey and i just want to say super marhaban super welcomes to you mashallah ta'ala can you give us a little bit of background about yourself because you've told me something interesting that you say that you come from four consistent consecutive generations of muslims i think your story is so cool would you mind sharing it with us really quickly Yes, so I, um, I, my parents converted to Islam when they were in their late teens and early 20s. And me and my brothers and sisters and our children and grandchildren are all Muslims. We are four consecutive generations of Ameri- African-American Muslims. And I say consecutive, recognizing that uh, slavery broke our Islam, and we had reclaimed it, and inshallah, it will continue from us. Amazing. And give us, give us a background about your parents and your kids, and also how you're going to be soon an official queen mother. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so my, my father actually became Muslim, and he was one of the... So back in the 1960s, people used to stand on the corner and prophetize their religion. So I, if you've seen the Malcolm X movie, movie you'll know what, I, what I'm talking about. And my father was actually one of those who, my mother said that he would stand on the corner at two o'clock in the morning when people came out of the club, people like her, <laughs> and he had on all white, and she said she used to love passing by him because he was a dark chocolate man that wore a white turban and a white tote. <laughs> And he would prophetize to the people or try to give dawah to the people coming out of the club. And so one day she decided that she was going to go to him to try to talk to him, not necessarily to become Muslim, but she wanted to talk to him. And he invited her to a halakha the next day. She became Muslim the next day. And alhamdulillah, that began our family. And they actually married three days later. Are you <laughs> and that serious? that began our family. Yes. Allahu Akbar. <laughs> so street both, corner. Both of them were... Sorry, go ahead. Both of them were very um, active inside of the Dar Islam movement in New York, okay, um, in Brooklyn, um, where they're both born and raised, and um, and it, that is really how our our family started or restarted our Islam. And a lot of people don't know about the Dar. I actually became Muslim 
through someone that was with Dar um, in Oklahoma. Um, so could you give a little background on what the Dar Islam movement was real quickly? Because that's something people so need da- to know about. So the Dar Islam movement is the, a movement of when Sunni Islam began to take hold in the African-American community. Um, I actually, as a young, uh, growing up, used to think that it was only in Brooklyn, <laughs> but apparently, you know, <laughs> as I grew up, I learned that it was actually movements all over the United States. Um, and the Dar Islam, so during the time when um, a lot of people were actually, and I think what people don't know is that when a lot of people were actually joining the Nation of Islam, there was actually a lot of other African-Americans who was actually joining Sunni Islam. Allah and so Allah. that was the dawn. Right. Yes. And, and, you know, Masjid Dawood is, by the way, about four blocks from my house, right here on State oh, Street, yeah. um, where kind of the dar began and then, you know, moved out to yep. Brooklyn. And it's interesting. I was talking yep. with Ibrahim Abdul Mateen, and he's going to give me a tour uh, eventually of all of kind of the old dar spots. It's, it's crazy. The, the, such a small world. Uh, we had a conversation totally. about it. And, of course, Imam Jamil is still incarcerated, and we pray for his exoneration yes. and his freedom. Uh, not I mean, will bring actually, him. you know, my my Yahya Abdul Karim was the imam of the Dar back inside of the 60s and 70s. He was actually my father's blood cousin. They we, were um, they were blood cousins. And um, my father, his name was Sharif Ibrahim. He actually gave Imam Jamil Alamin his shahada. They were in prison together. Allahu Akbar. <laughs> I mean, yes. wow. I mean, Th- this this could be like 10 podcasts. It's a small world. If you keep this going. <laughs> and of course, Imam Yahya uh, Abdul Karim, um, mashallah, rahimahullah, may Allah bless. These are our ancestors. And, and people don't realize that American Muslims stand on these people's shoulders, man. And, yeah, and, and don't. Sure. it's crazy. I went and prayed in, in Masjid Dawood one day and I ran into a brother and, and he was an older gentleman, an older black man. And I said to him, like, man, this is the masjid, you know. And he's like, yeah, he, he told me all those brothers, even Imam Siraj at one time prayed in this masjid uh, behind Imam Dawood. And then, of course, spread out and did great things. And, and you're an extension of these beautiful communities, mashallah. But your specialty is fitness, and I just want to know, how did you get passionate about fitness? Because it seems like it's almost personal to you. Like, fitness is something that's really, you're really, like, you hit me up, and you're like, I'm so happy you're doing keto, like, out of nowhere, right? Like, who does that, you know? And and I get this book in the mail, I'm like, oh, okay, let me read this book. So you're obviously, like, this is what you love. Right. This is your passion. Can you give us kind of how that started? Yes. So everything that I am and what I'm not, I contribute to my parents. Um, My father actually passed away when he was 55 from a stroke induced by high blood pressure. He didn't even know he had high blood pressure. Um, My mother had diabetes and suffered from all of the ill effects of diabetes she got gestational diabetes when she was pregnant with my little sister when I was about seven, and it just never went away. It just got worse and worse, and I saw how it affected her quality of life and her health, but it wasn't until 
I actually got into health and fitness that I realized that one of the main reasons why she was never able to manage her diabetes is because she really did not know how. You know, she would um, have these stints of hospital stays because she would go to the doctor and her, her insulin level would be so high that the doctor is like, I don't know why you're not in a coma right now. Go to the emergency room. And uh, after one of these stays, they gave her some aftercare. And she called me one day and I was at my fitness studio. And she said, you know, they gave me a referral to go to a nutritionist. Do you think I should go? Mm. And I'm like, you've had diabetes for 25 years. No one ever sent you to a nutritionist. And she's like, no. And so that was a big aha moment because it made me realize that, she really did not know how to take care of herself with this life-changing illness. Mm. And all of the times when she would say things like, oh, just take the icing off of the cake and pass me the cake, she actually just was kind of like making it up as she went along because the doctor told her, here's some insulin shots and stop drinking soda. And that Mm. was kind of like the extent of, (laughs) of what she was told. And so it... Even though at that point, I was really already into health and fitness because I can remember as a little girl, 12, 13 years old, you know, in my mind thinking like, I don't know what I have to do to not get diabetes, but I'm not going to get diabetes. (laughs) And I started running when I was about 13. I would ask my mom, can I, you know, run up the road and back before school? And Mm. ever since then, I've been into health and wellness and learning more and more as I go along. Allahu Akbar. And... I think I think this is a question that uh, you hit on something that's truly profound, and that is for for many of us. I think that's why the Quran. One of the reasons it says, you know, in you there is a sign that God exists, because our own bodies are very much a mystery to us, um, and oftentimes we don't know, we don't want to admit it, we don't know how to take care of ourselves, and. Yeah definitely dealing with diabetes is more than stop drinking pop, you know? Absolutely. (laughs) For for that kind of person, I would put myself in that boat. What would a functional definition definition of fitness be? Because what we see are, you know, you work out, you're going to look like this. You eat this, you're going to look like this. And of course, these are, you know, big time kind of photoshopped and, and, you know, corporate sponsored imagery. And oftentimes people think eating certain ways are going to make them look certain ways, but looking a certain way is also not necessarily about being fit. So could you talk about number one is perhaps what you see isn't necessarily what's real. And then what is a good functional definition of fitness for a person? So for me, I'm often quoted as saying that, Fitness is not a look, it is a state of being, and looking good is just a side effect. Mm. And one of the things that uh, remind me of that is that there was a show um, on the Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith where he did a family intervention about health. And what was really interesting about their conversation was he admitted that when he did the movie Ali, that he was eating to look good, but he felt terrible. He had headaches every day. He was fatigued. They also talked about how their son, Jaden, became vegan, and they had to do an intervention on him because he looked 
sick. And he realized that he needed protein in his diet and has since become a vegetarian. And they all talked about how they don't know how to eat for health, that they all eat to look good but feel terrible. And I think that that's really common for most people, right? Mm. Where we want to eat to lose weight, we want to eat to get a six pack, we want to eat to gain more muscle, but people don't really think about, hey, let me take a minute and figure out how I want to move, how I want to feel. So I tell people that you should feel so good inside that you just want to look as good as you feel. But it starts Mm. off with, are you functional? Do you have energy? Do you sleep well? Can you, and for us as Muslims, I tell people, you can't bow down if you can't get down. Oh. So that is the most important way for us as Muslims to really think about how our mobility is affecting our iman and our ibadah. Right? How many times do you go in the masjid and you see two rows of chairs? Why is there two rows of chairs? Because people didn't take care of their health many times. And they're 60 years old. And to some people, it sounds like it's old. It's not old. Mm. You can still be able to do jalsa and 60 if you take care of your body now. It's not old. You shouldn't have to sit in a chair just because you've reached a certain age. You sit in a chair when you don't have the mobility to to make jalsa. But that should be one of the first things that we think about as Muslims. So I'm hearing you tying fitness to functionality, just practical functionality. Absolutely. Being functional in what your life is like. So a mom with two toddlers, fitness for her may be, hey, I want to be able to take my kids to the park and bring them home and not take a nap with them. But somebody who used to be an athlete, fitness may be, hey, I want to run a seven-minute mile again. So it's both functional and your individual lifestyle and goals, where you are in your lifestyle. And it's so problematic that fitness is tied intrinsically to the professional athlete. When what percentage of people are actually professional athletes or whatever even touch you know, a drop of what a professional athlete can do. That's a talent. Yeah. So so True. fitness is really, I, I, I recently, I was doing Tabata for a while. I told you about it. I text you one day and I said, what's up with Tabata? And <laughs> when I went there, the guy asked me, the trainer, why are you here? I said, I just had a baby girl. And he was like, that's the answer I want to hear. Like, mm-hmm. I just want to be able to pick, I'm 47 and my daughter's going to be 20. You know, when I'm 67, I want to be able to still be her father at 67. Um, Another question, and I I see this a lot sometimes. I got friends every New Year's. You get that group of friends that are like, let me stop eating pizza. Right. Let me (laughs) let me get my let me let me pull away from the biryani. Um, If Oklahoma, it's like, let me stop the fried chicken and the mashed potatoes. Um, But then they go to the gym and they don't know what to do. So where should people start? And that's very intimidating for people. Coming to grips with the fact that we're not in shape is intimidating. It's very vulnerable. And then starting, going to the gym for people. I can say this. I was 367 pounds about 10 years ago. You walk mm-hmm. into the gym, you weigh 367 pounds. You're embarrassed. You're extremely self-conscious. 
and I did not really know where to start. So where should people start? So I would say for people to start, one, you don't have to start in the gym. If the gym intimidates you, remember it's about movement. It doesn't matter where the movement occurs. Really just start start somewhere. I think that what makes it really hard for people is because they think, oh, I need to start exercising two hours a day, five days a week, and I have to figure out how to put this in my schedule. Mm. It doesn't have to be that big. It just needs to be small steps. Take small steps. Mm. We know that physical movement is what we call a snowball effect, that when people start to move, they automatically start doing other healthier habits. The truth, the, 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 the same is not true when it comes to diet. So although we always want to start with diet, you, technically, if you're having a hard time motivating yourself to just adopt healthy habits in your lifestyle, you should actually start with movement. Because when you move, it makes you want to eat more vegetables. But no one eats broccoli and say, hey, let me go run a 5K. It doesn't work the other way around. <laughs> so I would say definitely start with movement. If you know you need to make changes inside of your diet, the second thing that I would tell people to do is just start reducing the sugar in your diet. You don't have to go low carb or go keto, not right now, but <laughs> if you just start reducing the amount of sugar, it is going to help you to mitigate the most important hormone that you have, which is your insulin. Mm. Your insulin is a domino hormone. So when the insulin raises, cortisol raises, inflammation raises, we know that that is the domino hormone for so many illnesses that occur in the body. And constant raising of the, of the insulin, is the, of the glucose, is the reason why diabetes is now an epidemic Right. We have it used to be a time where if a child got diabetes under 12, we used to call it type one diabetes because it was generally just a abnormality inside of the body where their pancreas stopped producing insulin. Now we have children as young as five years old getting type two diabetes. We had to change what we called it because we used to call it adult onset diabetes. Now we just have to call it type two because it is a result of their lifestyle. The children or their parents? Sorry. The children, the, the lifestyle that the parents give the children. Wow. <laughs> but Got it's it. a result of their, of their lifestyle because they play games all day. They're eating junk food, eating processed food, all of these things. And then literally by the time they're six or seven years old, they have diabetes. Goodness gracious. That's devastating. Yeah. Now. Let's talk about the book, The MR40 Method, The 40-Day Guide yeah. to Reset Your Metabolism. I was always told that you can't reset your metabolism. That is not true. <laughs> when I say, so MR40, what it stands for is a metabolic reset in 40 days. Mm. The reason, one, your metabolism is, it is a complicated and very complex system of many things. We always relate it to weight loss, but your metabolism includes the way that your, your brain function. It includes um, um, not just weight loss, but also your immune system. So the metabolism is really encompassing a lot of things. When I say reset it, I mean 
we are literally changing how your body produces energy. And mm. that is a metabolic reset. So the book itself is based on four methods. It's based on ketogenic eating, intermittent fasting, um, high-intensity interval training as the movement and angiogenesis inhibiting foods into your, your diet program. Mm. When you include all four of those things, have lots of science and lots of research back behind it, um, I am really a research buff. <laughs> I believe that we have traditional medicine, but now we are at a point in science where we can prove the traditional medicine through science. So we've been fasting since millennial, right? <laughs> Allah has prescribed fasting to us and those before us. Right. Now science has shown us exactly what it does to the body. I have these little things that I normally post under the tag, the science of the sunnah. And I like to always point out like, for those of us who what Allah says in the Quran wasn't enough, <laughs> this is what the scientists say, right? Wow. Um, so we know that the research actually tells us that these things work. If you put them all, if you do one of them and you incorporate it in your lifestyle, you're going to see a difference in your health. But if you incorporate all four, you can reset your metabolism and transform your health. Mm. That's that's incredible. Can you can you give us a little bit of background on the keto diet, ketogenesis, ketones? Is it is it real? You know, some people say it's the greatest thing since you know, heat and eat samosas. Uh, on the other <laughs> end, you hear people saying that it hurts people's bone development. It has a negative impact on their skin. It raises their cholesterol. Blah blah blah. But you're you're a proponent of keto, so can you kind of give us an idea of keto and then how you utilize it, inculcate it in your book? Yes. So I am I am a proponent of keto for many people. Again, every diet isn't for everybody. Um, if you have, for example, um, um, hypoglycemia, then it may not be appropriate for you because it may drop your insulin too low, right? So there are people that it's not appropriate. But for a large portion of our society who's suffering from obesity, who's suffering from chronic fatigue, who's suffering from digestive issues, who's just suffering from a general feeling of not feeling well, I think that keto really can be the answer to many of those issues because it has been shown in research to actually be a solution for many actual diseases. So one of the things about keto, I think that a lot of people don't understand is that it's not a new fat thing. It's not something that Kim Kardashian's trainer came up with. Mm. <laughs> it has literally been around for a hundred years. Amazing. It was originally developed um, it was really, it was, the interesting thing about keto is that it was originally developed as an alternative to fasting for children who were prescription resistant epileptic. Yep. So there was a doctor who was actually treating children for epilepsy by having them do a water fast for 30 days. And he reported that 80% of his patients were cured, not better, but actually cured. And so when the researchers saw this, they wanted to say, they said, like, how do we mimic fasting, what happens in the body that helps to cure epilepsy? Because obviously telling people not to eat 
<laughs> not eating is not an option for human beings, right? You can't just tell people don't eat again. <laughs> so what they discovered was it was the body functioning on ketones that was the solution to the epilepsy. And so they knew that if you took carbohydrates out the diet, that the body will then, instead of using glucose, develop, create ketones and have the body run off of ketones. That's where it started. It being a great alternative for weight loss, it was really kind of like a side note of it. But it has been shown to be effective for Parkinson's disease, for multiple sclerosis. They are There's research continuing to go on for using it during cancer. During So there are a lot, and I always make a side note when I say this, I am not saying that my method is a cure for cancer. I'm just saying that the research shows <laughs> that ketogenic eating actually can reduce um, tumors of cancer. Um, and so, and again, all of this, that has, that's a whole nother mechanism, but it has to do with your insulin being lowered. You reduce it. It's a sugar-free diet. It takes the sugar out of your diet. And so all of this research around keto I was always curious when I started reading the research on it, I was like, why don't more people know about this? Mm. But then when I went online, because most people find about Keto online, I actually found, about it, found out about it not online, but rather inside of my exercise and nutrition book from college. <laughs> mm. And when I looked at like how effective it was, how it could literally reverse diabetes when we have an epidemic of diabetes, and I was like, Okay, so if we did things like reverse diabetes, that is a huge economic implication. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there's no money in teaching people how to make themselves better, mm, mm, right? Mm. Just using food. <laughs> there's no money in that. And so that was really, and I'll, I have to be honest and transparent, when I first went to look into keto, it was because of weight loss. <laughs> Okay. Hey, we, we, we all and gotta I be found honest. out all of that other stuff later. Right, right. <laughs> because me myself, I was following all of the, you know, life happened, age happened. I gained a few pounds, and I was following all of the things that um, you're supposed to do that I had been teaching my client and that I had done before, and it just wasn't working for me anymore. And I was like, there has to be a different way. And this is also a, a, a when we talked about early how fitness really should be about how you feel, when I was doing all of those things, I felt tired, I felt hungry, but I was in great shape, mm. right? But it so when I turned 40, I decided like, okay, I need to give myself a goal. And so the goal that I gave myself is I, I have no intention of joining the army, but I figured it would be a goal. I went and looked up what was the Army physical recommendations for somebody my age if I wanted to join the Army. And my goal was by my birthday, I was going to be Army fit. And I was, but I was mm. still 35 pounds overweight. <laughs> I could wow. run a six-minute mile, but I was 35 pounds overweight. I could do the push-ups. I could do everything. And I was like, there's something wrong with my metabolism. <laughs> mm. And my doctor's like, you're fit. You eat healthy. Wow. You're great. You're eating whole grains. You're not eating junk food. I was doing everything right, but the weight would not go anywhere. And that's what led me to keto. Wow. And I've also read that keto does a lot for inflammation. 
and that's where you know kind of the epile- the epileptic issues and other things but can you comment kind of on how yes. keto helps with yes. the inflammation piece the reason why keto helps with inflammation is because the goal for to become in so one we say keto just so people know and it is kind of like a shorter way of saying ketosis mm. ketosis is a metabolic state mm. most people go around and we use glucose for energy so you eat a piece of bread you eat some oatmeal you eat all of the healthy grains that you think you're supposed to be eating and that turns into glucose inside of your body and your body uses glucose for energy but all additional glucose that you're not burning because you decided to netflix and chill instead of going for your run your body's going to turn excess glucose into fat that's Mm. the way it stores it it's like, hey, I'm going to put away some for, it's kind of like, you know, you take a plate home when you go to a party. So your body's like, I'm going to take this plate because it's too much and I'm going to store it as fat. And that is how most people's body functions. When the body does not have glucose, then the body takes the fat that you're eating and it turns it into ketones and uses that for energy. I like to explain it to people. It's sort of kind of like the difference between having a generator and having electricity coming through the wires. Mm. Most people's houses run off of the electricity as it goes through the electrical poles. But if you have a storm, a line comes down, there's no electricity, some people have a generator that will kick in when the electricity isn't available. That is what, ke- that is what ketosis is. When glucose is not available, it kicks in like the generator so that you can continue to go and give you energy. But one of the most important ways that that happens as well is, or one of the most important things that happens is when you don't have glucose, your insulin level lowers. Insulin is a hormone. Once your insulin level lowers, then it also lowers all of the inflammation markers in your body. Mm. That is why being in ketosis is really helpful for people with arthritis or people with joint problems because it reduces the inflammation in your body. Mm. Mm. So before we, before we let you go, this has been, been really enlightening. Can you let people know how they can find you on Instagram or other social media outlets? Absolutely. So I am Fit Mufuma everywhere. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, those are kind of like the main places I am. And it's Fit Mufuma with an H on the end, F-I-T-M-U-S-L-I-M-A-H. If you can't find me that way, which you probably can, put in the hashtag I am Fit Mufuma and that will bring me up. <laughs> Allahu Akbar. And the book MR40, the Metabolism Reset 40 and 40 Days, is up on Amazon. I'm looking at the yeah. reviews right now, and people are eating it up uh, and, and really enjoying it. But I want to thank you personally for being on SwissCast. It is a pleasure, and I really want to encourage people to jump out and get the book and support. Keep the dollar in the Muslim community, right? And and you're getting something for your dollar. You're going to get your health, which is priceless. Um, but Absolutely. Sister Mubaraka, thank you so much for being on SwissCast. Barakallahu feekum.